know, gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's for all of us. Not just for some. It's all of us. The Apostle Paul says, seek the spiritual gifts. Especially the gift of prophecy. The word of God needs to be spoken in the church. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I want to wish happy Father's Day to all our fathers here today. And I pray that you have a great day today with your family. Be blessed today. You know, I know in the world today, people are having problems. They're having a problem trying to figure out what gender they want to be. They don't know whether they want to be a man or they don't know whether they want to be a woman. I want to tell you today, your pastor is thankful he's a man. Especially after seeing my wife, who's been a fruitful vine, she became pregnant four times, seeing that all she endured to give me children, again, I say I'm thankful that I'm a man. And there were times in our 62 years of marriage and 42 years in ministry that I had to make some very, very hard decisions. And that's when she would come to me and say, I thank God I'm a woman. That she didn't have to make those decisions that I had to make. My wife afforded me four children, which gave me 17 grandchildren, 19 great-grandchildren, and one great-great-grandchild who's now living in Germany, Believe it or not, my responsibility to them is not over until I leave this world. That's why I titled this message today, The Working Father. In John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus gave this answer because the Jews accused him of breaking the Sabbath day because he healed a paralytic man. He performed a miracle on the Sabbath day, and they accused him of breaking the Sabbath day. And Jesus defended himself by telling them that my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And because he answered that way, they wanted to kill him even more than they did before. Because by saying that God was his father, made him equal with God. They accused him of breaking the law of the Sabbath. Now, the law of the Sabbath was to cease from labor and to rest on the day, the Sabbath day. Now, the law was based on the seven days of creation. If you remember reading in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 2.2, 2, it says, By the seventh day, 
God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The Lord rested from all the work of creation. Even though he rested from creating, it didn't rule out the responsibility that he had to sustain everything he created. He couldn't just back away from it, say, well, I created it, and back away from it, and it would take care of itself. No. That's why Jesus told the Jews on the Sabbath day, he said, my father is at work right now. He's working. He's doing the work. You see, God can never rest. He can't. That's why we, we were singing just a little while. He's always working. He's working. Even when I don't think he's working, he's working. He cannot rest from his work. He created all of this, and he has to sustain all of this. Now, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 was speaking to some Greek philosophers. Paul was in the city of, of Greece and uh, he was teaching on the resurrection of Jesus and some of these philosophers who stood around all day just talking trash and, and trying to see who was the smartest. They heard Jesus and they said, come tell us some more about this about this resurrection thing and about this Jesus who was resurrected. So he began telling them the gospel, but he said this in, in verse 28, trying to tell them the God that he served because when he walked around the city of Greece, they had statues, they had gods all over the place. But they had one statue, the name of it was the unknown God. He said, that's the guy I want to talk to you about. And he began telling that God, everything that was created, was created by this unknown God that you don't know who he is. But he said in verse 28, he says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. We live because he lets us live. Every breath we take is because he is allowing you to take it. You cannot live without him. If he quit working, we all gone. He is sustaining all life because in him is life. That's why he told the Jews, my father, you're talking about working on the Sabbath? My father's working right now. You're living because he's working. He's living because of, of, of keeping you alive, keeping the world and the universe working. He's working. He says, and I'm working too. That's why every father, you and I, must be a working father. Because you see, just because we brought forth children, that we impregnated our wife to bring forth the child, after the child, is, our work is not over. 
It takes the rest of our life to sustain these kids. And it doesn't matter how they grow up and get married. You might be relieved of some financial responsibility. I said you might. I remember my neighbor, I was living in, in Mandeville, and he had three kids. The oldest one was a daughter, and she was getting married. I was in my driveway, and he comes out in his tuxedo, and they're getting ready to go to the wedding. I said, hey, Jeff. I said, congratulations. I said, you're moving one out. He says, yeah, I'm moving them out. He said, but they're still on the payroll. That was, they're getting out, but I'm still paying the price. I'm still sustaining them. So as a working father, all our support systems must be maintained. And that is being a godly example, having godly wisdom, having godly support, Showing them love, showing them mercy, showing them compassion, showing them oversight. See, that's the God principle of fathering. Because you see, our Father, God, is always working. God the Son is always working. So we as fathers must be constantly working also. Our job is forever. Till we leave this earth. You say, well, all my kids are gone. I don't care. I don't care if they're all gone. Because fathering is partnershiping with God. It's like Jesus does with his father to sustain the family of God, which is his church. Christ is sustaining his church. So to sustain it, you got to do it physically, spiritually, emotionally, materially, that the Father's influence should be in all aspects of life. Our provision for our family, materially, our work ethics, how we manage our home, all of this must be on display constantly, overseeing everything in our home. When I say everything, I mean everything. Fathers are the gatekeepers of the house. They are the watchmen on the wall. Somebody's got to be in charge. And I know there's problems today that men and women don't know who's in charge. I've, me and my wife have counseled many, many marriages in the 42 years of marriage. And I used to have to say, who in the world's in charge here? I know who's supposed to be in charge. God has put the man as the gatekeeper. He is the watchman. That's how God made him. That's how God did it. And they are responsible. The fathers, the husbands are responsible for what comes in the house and what goes out the house. What comes in, I mean everything. I'm talking about finances. I'm talking about the TV 
I'm talking about magazines, whatever comes in the house. The father is responsible for it. And whatever goes out the house, meaning how they're dressed, how they act, everything. So you as a father must be the gatekeeper. You're at the door. What comes in and what goes out. I remember my kids, my girls growing up, they wanted to go somewhere. And my, and, and my wife would tell them, go see the gatekeeper. He tells people when to go and when to come. And uh, they would come and say, well, Mama says it's okay if it's all right with you. I said, where are you going? I said, no, that ain't going to work. See, and this example is not only for our sons. You know, we think as fathers that it's all about our sons. We got we to gotta make sure our sons know what a man. No, your daughter needs to know. What a godly man is all about. It's not only for our sons, it's for our daughters too. Because you see, there's going to come a time with our daughters that these men are going to start coming around. They need to know what they're looking for. And as fathers, you need to tell them what they're looking for. And if what they're looking at is not what they need, you need to tell them. See, the time's going to come. And you got to be the gatekeeper there. This is what the Lord said about Abraham. Which the Bible calls Abraham our father of faith. That's who our example is when it comes to faith. And, and, and the Lord said this in, in Genesis 18, 19. The Lord said, For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he had promised him. He chose Abraham to direct his children and his household. Why? Because God wanted Abraham to bring forth a generation. He wanted him to bring forth a people for him. And he chose Abraham to direct his family. So God chose Abraham. He didn't choose Sarah. Sarah was his wife. doesn't say he chose Sarah. No, he chose Abraham. Because Abraham is the head. You got to understand that. You men here, you're the head. I don't care what the world tells you are. And if we of the head, then God must have a divine order in the family. Many times my wife and I in counseling, the, the, you just look at it. The, the family's not in order. Nobody knows who's who. Who's giving the orders here? Oh, no, no, no. Everybody doing what they want. That ain't going to work. If we fathers want to promise blessings... That, that God said he was going to give to Abraham and his children. If we want those blessings, then we've got to make a conscious commitment to our responsibility in the family. The Lord said this about Abraham. He says, I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household. 
What does that mean? That means anybody under this roof. I don't care who you are. If I'm paying the rent here and I'm bringing in the food, I'm the head. I'm the head. That's it. And I don't care who's living here with me. Until we understand that. But the Lord said, I've chosen him that he will direct his children and his household. That's servants. That's anybody that's in the house. After him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing what is right and just. See, that's the man's responsibility. You got to do what is right and just. And everybody else must follow that. God said he chose Abraham. Every one of us fathers here today, God has given us families. We need to thank God for that. You need to thank God for your children. You need to thank God for your wife. You need to thank God that we are the chosen one for our family. We are the appointed one for our family. And we can't relinquish that responsibility to our wife or anybody else in the house. You're it. Many times my wife and I would be counseling uh, marriages that were in trouble and, 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 and the husband would say, well, you know, she's just this, she's just that, and she don't understand it. I said, I don't care about her. I said, the problem's you. You're the head. You're the one who makes the shots here or should be making the shots. Don't blame it on her. The responsibility of a house belongs on the head of the house who the word of God said it's the man. Now the world said, no, man and woman's equal. Everybody's here. You got your money. I got, no, no, no. That don't work. It don't work. Somebody has to be in charge. The, the family's got to be in order. When there's no order, the devil comes in and destroys it. But as chaos, the devil loves it. Somebody's going down. God has made us the head, not only the head, but the priest. <laughs> See, we're the priest of the family. See, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Jesus gave his life for the church. And I tell women all the time, if you have a man that's willing to give his life for you, willing to lay down his life for you, what is your problem in submitting to the man? He's willing to die for you. What's your problem? See, he made us to head not only over our wife, but everyone in the household. I remember uh, uh, my son, my only son, he got married young too, and uh, uh, they were living in my house, and uh, they had to live with us. He was still in school, and the in-laws came over, and I was telling them that I'm going to take care of these kids. They married young. 
He's got to finish school and all of that. And I said to them, the parents, I think the mother would, the, the in-laws were Jehovah's Witness. I said, listen up here. I'm going to pay for everything. I'm going to pay for them. I'm going to support them and, and uh, whatever takes place. I'm going to pay for all of them. They ain't got to worry about anything. Just get on your feet and get going. I said, but this, got to let you know that this is a Christian household, and I'm the head here. Everybody in this house gets up on Sunday, and we go to church. And that includes them. I said, if you agree to that, we good. If not, they got to find another place. Well, they agreed to that for about six months, and they couldn't take it no more. They had to go live on the other side, the crazy people. But anyway. But it was my responsibility. I couldn't let, I couldn't get the rest of my kids up and bring them to church and let them lay up in the bed. It ain't going to work. No. Everybody in this house gets up. We go to church. You see, because that's my responsibility. I can't give it to nobody else. See, there's a godly order in the home, and if, and if that order is not followed, then there's chaos. The rules and orders, there's a manual for it right here. If you don't know what the order of the house is, this, you read this, the manual's here on how it lives. It tells you what the woman's job is, what the man's job is, what the children's jobs are. Everything's there. Now, if you try to do it like the world does it, well, you're going to get what the world gets. You're going to get divorce, broken homes, all of that. You'll get it that. But with that position comes responsibility. We got to oversee the spiritual needs of the family and a total commitment to the things of God. Placing God at the center of the family. I'm going to go back. When I first got saved, it took... It took uh, it took my wife, she wasn't ready yet. It took her about six months before she got saved. But in the meantime, I got the revelation that, that, that I'm responsible here for everybody. She didn't want to go to church. I said, that's okay. We're going to dress these kids. They're coming with me. They're coming with me. Because you see, that's my responsibility. I'm the priest here. We're going, we're going to worship God. So everybody's going to get up and, and do that. See, we got as a man, you got to place God. You're not the center. God's the center. You, you got to put God in the center of that, of that home, placing God. In, I remember when, uh, when we got saved, my oldest son, I would only have one son, but he was around 12. He saw our old life before. He saw our old life, the way we were living. So he, he, couldn't, he couldn't convert over, especially when we're sitting at dinner and we're, we're, we're saying grace. I said, let bow your heads. We're going to say grace. 
He said, I don't want to pray. I said, that's okay. Get off the table and go wait in the hall. And when we're finished praying, you can come back. Well, he, he didn't like that. He didn't want to get up every time and go out. So he wound up staying. But that's how it's going to be. See, God's got to be the center of the house. His plan for the house has to be above every other plan. I don't care what plan people call. God's plan trumps it. God's plan for the house is it. There's no debate about it. This is the way it is. So every one of our children should represent the type of house you have. That's why the Lord said in the book of Malachi that he hates divorce. Why does he hate it? Because he said he wants godly offspring. See, he don't just want you to have children. He wants you to have children that's going to know who he is. That's going to love him and serve him. That's it. You can have all the kids you want. They're having them out there left and right. But God wants us to have godly kids. Children that's going to know the Lord that we serve. So God chose Abraham to direct his family. God has placed responsibility on us fathers. See, a real man is a godly man who loves God and obeys his word. That's a real man. Now, the world out there has got a different view of what a man is. You've got to be macho and all that, all that. No, no. God tells you a man is. A real man is the one who knows the Lord and follows him. See, <laughs> see the world calls us men sissies. You want to know who a sissy is? Somebody that can't rebel against that world out there. They got to go with them. They got to do everything they do. Try to back away from them and see if you're a man or not. It takes a man not to do what they're doing. See, God trusted Abraham to do what is right and what is just as he entrusts us to do the same thing. We got to be just and we got to be right before our family, before God and before our family. I remember some of my grand, grandsons, uh, some of the older ones. Uh, one of them told me one day, he says, Papa, you know, he says, we have watched you for years. He says, you have never changed, that you've stayed the same. Your line has always been there, you see? And that's how it's got to be. See, because there's generations to come. When God called Abraham, he wasn't just looking at Abraham. God was looking generations. Generations. My wife and I are looking at, at, at great-grandchildren in church. Some of them in church today. raising That's, that's generations. When God called me, he was looking, not only for me and my, he was looking down the line. He wants godly offspring and he wants it to keep going. And every one of you men here today, I want you to understand that God has designed on your generations. Our children must be taught 
by our example. You got to hold the line. You can't, you can't deviate off of serving God. You can't compromise in serving God. We need to be men who love God above all else. We need to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Our children need to know we love our wives. Our sons need to know that a man needs to love his wife. Our daughters need to see how a man should treat her. And we need to be working constantly at godly fathering. You can't let up. There's no change of course here. We haven't finished the work yet. I still have grandchildren, great-grandchildren to impart to. Do I see them all the time? No. But they got to know who their grandfather and their great-grandfather is and what he does in the life that he represents. I can't ever stop that. I'm talking about work. Fathers must always be working. We don't have a break here. God doesn't rest from being our Father. We can't rest either. There is no resting for us. We've got to be a working Father. It's not a part-time job. It's a full-time job. See, our society today is reaping what a fatherless generation has produced. They're filling our prison with young men who never had a godly father in their life. I know. I've been there. I've been in a prison ministering. And, and, and I want to tell you, uh, they're there because nobody was an example to them. The example they got from the world out there. They didn't get it from any godly influence. See, there's a great need for fathering in the world today. There are millions of children growing up in our country in fatherless homes. And we're going to get our share of them here in this church. So what does that mean? Well, it means that there's a need for spiritual fathering here in this church. And there's going to be more coming in. There's going to be children coming in that don't have a father. And some of us that are here have to be that example to these young kids. I don't know whether you see me. I hug all them kids when they come in here. I love them kids. They need to have a father's hug. You need to be a father to all of them. You say, well, that's not my, I don't care. They in here, you act like they're your child. You show them something, something godly. So there's a need for spiritual fathers here in the church. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4.15. He said, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. See, you can have a lot of men teaching you something, but they're not a father to you. 
Paul says, you got a lot of teachers. You got a lot, a lot of people out there preaching the word, but they're not fathering. We got to be fathers. We got to be fathers not only to our own children, we got to be fathers to every child that's in the family of God. We need to be fathers to the fatherless. We must become men whose primary work is fathering. That should be the number one occupation. We're fathers. That's what we're going to be. We'll be to our own kids and to everybody else's kid that needs a father. We got to be men whose life is fathering. This is the intention of the gospel. The last two verses of the Old Testament, the last two verses, God is promising to send John the Baptist. That's the last two verses. And it's 400 years now from the end of the Old Testament, those last two verses, till John the Baptist shows up in the New Testament. 400 years of silence. But the last two verses, which is actually, when, when John shows up, it's 800 years since it was prophesied. And it, it, it reveals the reason for sending him in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. This is the, this is the last two verses. It says, see, I'm going to send you to prophet Elisha before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. See, then we see the promise come true in the New Testament. The angel Gabriel told Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, who was, fa who was fatherless, he never had any children. He was old. His wife Elizabeth was old, and the, and the angel Gabriel told him, your, your wife's going to have a child. He couldn't figure that out. But, but then he goes to tell him what the child's going to be and what you're going to name him. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, he's telling Zechariah, he says, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elisha to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and make ready and prepared for the Lord. That men might be fathers again. Obviously, there wasn't. He said he's going to come and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Why? Because their hearts wasn't to their children, just like they are today. that their hearts would turn towards their children and their family. See, that was the first revelation I got. When I got off my knees, accepting Christ and my life was changed, I realized, whoa, what have I been missing here? My, my, my love was to the world, wasn't to my family. My wife can tell you, I changed. All I wanted to do was stay home with my family, where I used to be out in the street 
I wanted to be home with my family. I wanted to hug my wife. She said, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. I just want to hug you. Because, see, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. See, because my heart changed. And that's what the gospel does. It changes our hearts and puts our hearts in the proper place. The proper place for a man of God is his family. That's what God told Abraham. I'm going to trust you. You're going to take care of your household. You're going to teach your household how to love me in the ways of the Lord and those things. See, that's how God does. It's always a heart issue. My heart turned from the world that I loved. I used to love the world. I used to love being out there. I used to love partying. I used to love running the streets. I used to love that. But you see, my heart was wrong. When my heart got right, then my love got right. I love God. I love my wife. I love my family. It put me back right. And that's where we have to be. We got to be right. As men of God and fathers of our family. Because we need to be an example to that world. For the Lord said in Malachi, if men's hearts don't turn to their children, God says, I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's what we're facing today. We've got a curse on this land. Not only abortion taking place, but we've got fatherless households where men has, have relinquished their responsibility to raise their children. That curse is not, that's what we're facing. We got young men killing each other out in the streets. That's the curse we're facing. Every time I turn on the television, oh, they shot three last night, four downtown, four in the French Quarter. They're just shooting up everybody. It's young kids. That's the curse. Where's the father? Some of them don't even know who their father is. I've ministered in the prisons. We've talked to them. They don't know who the daddy is. Daddy left. Beat up his mother left. And they were without a true godly man, a godly aunt, uh, example. But the curse is broken when a man comes to the cross of Calvary. That curse is broken. It was broken in my family. It was broken. First 12 years of my marriage, I was under that curse. But when I came to the cross of Calvary, that curse was broken. It's off of my family. See, it's the power of the gospel. It's the power that can make new creations out of men so they can become godly fathers. See, the curse gets broken, they get free. Their life becomes an order. Their heart is right. And they bring up their children to know the Lord by their example. We are the example. I think it was back in the 50s, there was a, a saying that, that going to church was the women's job to bring the kids. The men stay at home, drink beer, and do all that. It's the women's job to get the kids dressed and bring them to church. No, it's not the woman's job. 
the man's job. And if we're going to be men, that's what we have to do. No compromise. Listen, I can go on and on with this. But we got sports taking over our family. They got people taking their kids out of church so they can go play baseball on Sunday morning. Wait a second here. Is baseball more than worshiping God? People call themselves Christian. Oh, well, we're only going to be out for, for eight weeks. Eight weeks. So what you're doing, you're showing your children that other things that's more important than God. Can't be that way. See, every man that produces children, not necessarily a father. A father is one who knows his heavenly father and imitates him to his family. He becomes not only the head, but the priest. See, when it comes to spiritual things, it's got to be the father. It's got to be the priest. See, because the priest is interceding for them. He's the one who recognizes God's plan for their life and purpose for them. And he is a father that's committed to take that responsibility to see God's plan work out for his children. Now, this is impossible for a father whose heart has not been touched by God. He can't do it. Can't do it. Won't do it. It's impossible for him to do it. But a heart and soul that has been born again by faith in Jesus Christ can be led by the Holy Spirit to be the father that his family needs. I thank God, I thank God, 50 years ago, God touched my life. We are the example. Nobody else can be it. We as the father, the head, the head of our families, we are the example. Why don't you stand with me? I want all the fathers to come up here. Now, now if your wife is here, I'd like for your wife to stand behind you. 